Now we're in our second week within our new series, which is on the perspectives of the cross. This series is looking to explore how each and every one of us, and I believe it, each and every one of us here today, will have a slightly different perspective and meaning that we place upon Easter, upon the crucifixion of Jesus, upon the cross. And so what we wanted to do in this series is to actually explore those perspectives, to explore some of the biblical differences and the perspectives that come out of that, how different individuals would have seen the death of Christ, but also to relate it to us, how we explore and look at this world-changing event in a different light. I want to ask you the question, what does the crucifixion of Jesus Christ mean for you? What perspective do you have of this event? See, we each have this unique perspective. It's made up of our collective history, the influences of our families, our friends and the world that we engage with. So how does your perspective shape your understanding of Jesus and especially the events surrounding Easter. See, I want, to, I want to give this to you. We're bombarded with perspectives all the time, different perspectives. Some of them we understand and we see clearly into what they are. Now, I know, you know, I don't want to get into political messages around here, but we know that there's an election coming up, don't we? How do we know that? Because on television there are political messages being aired all the time. You know, they have been from the beginning of the year. Um, and we can see that they're trying to push a perspective, can't you? They're trying to push their agenda, their perspective. And so we can see it and we can name it. But there are other more commonplace things that are a little bit more insidious in how their perspective gets through to us. And to be honest, one of the biggest influences in our society today is actually big business. Business is never neutral. It always has a perspective. It always gives an agenda. On the most part, when big business sees Easter, what do they see? They see profit opportunities, don't they? They don't necessarily see the cross of Christ. You know, Easter is such a lucrative time for some businesses, and especially, say, the Easter egg business. And I actually looked this up. It's actually on Cadbury's Australia's website. They spend eight months of the year making Easter eggs because it is so popular. They have to stock up so much that because we buy so much, it's billions of dollars of money and revenue. It's amazing. You know, it's that perspective that they have is that Easter is not about the, the death of Jesus. It's about how much can we sell. You know, take another business. It's how soon can we get hot cross buns onto the shelves? How many people have we had hot cross buns? Some people love hot cross buns. I think my kids love hot cross buns when they're made with that fresh glaze over the top and it's, you know, really yummy, sweet kind of thing. But, you know, it's, it's those perspectives that are insidious, that creep in and tell us that it's not about Easter, about Christ, but it's about selling chocolates or selling Easter eggs or selling hot crust buns or all these other things. It's a 
insidious changing of your perspective. It's a moving you around. You know, it used to be that Good Friday was this solemn time of the year. Yet now you have these wonderful sponsored events where you have Easter egg hunts. And you buy tickets into them so you can go run around with your little kids in a big meadow to look for chocolate eggs. Perspective has been shifted by business and we don't even know it. Caleb last week started off our series looking at the perspective of the cross from, from Lazarus' point of view, from the question, what, how could Jesus die when he raised me to life? And so trying to get that understanding of the death of Jesus on the cross from the perspective of somebody who had been saved and brought to new life. This week I'm going to be exploring the importance of the crucifixion from the perspective of crowd mentality. Have you ever been in a crowd and the crowd starts to head in a direction that you didn't necessarily want to go but you've been swept up in that direction? Have you ever experienced that kind of thing? Some people have, some people haven't. Let me explain it a bit. What is crowd mentality? Well, there are many different names to crowd mentality. It could be, often it's called herd mentality or the mob mentality, pack mentality, gang mentality. They're all, they're all the same thing, just a different name talking about the same thing. It's basically when, when individuals are influenced by the peers in a large group of people to behave in a certain manner. Social psychology actually gives us a, an insight into this because it often explains how you can have a, a mob, a group, a crowd mentality and violence ensures out of that. See, when people are part of a bigger group, they often experience what's known as de-individualisation. What a great word, isn't it? De-individualisation. In other words, it's the loss of your own self-awareness and your self-identity because you're part of this bigger group. And so when people de-individuate, they are less likely to follow their normal restraints and inhibitions and are more likely to lose their sense of individual identity. In other words, they start to become a part of the crowd, a part of the group. And this group generates a sense of emotion and excitement that's being a part of it. And this can lead to, to behaviours that the person would not normally engage in if they were by themselves. See, we, we actually have seen this type of behaviour throughout history. And, and this is, you know, a little dark here, but, you know, the genocides in Rwanda is a classic example of, of crowd mentality, of, of group mentality that led to violence. You know, families that lived next to one another would pick up a machete and commit atrocious acts because of the group that was coming through. When if they were by themselves, they would never have thought of doing that. Or, you, you, you know, closer to home, the, the, the riots in Cronulla, or, or we look at online bullying, cyberbullying, those kind of... That is actually a classic example of, of crowd behaviour, of, of coming on board, of not being an individual, of being anonymous and piling things on top. 
But not all crowd mentality results actually in, in, in violence or in negative behaviour. At times, crowd behaviour can actually do something incredibly positive. You know, it's actually crowd mentality has been um, the behaviour that has allowed some oppressive regimes to be changed because the group of people, the citizens, rose up and overthrew because they were supported and encouraged by one another. It's actually interesting to know that to influence a crowd through this crowd mentality, through this mob mentality, you only need 5% in that crowd that look like they are confident in what they are doing for everybody else to follow that behaviour. So if those who are confident in what they are doing are doing evil and bad things, guess what? The crowd does the same. But if they're confident and, and, and uh, about what they're doing and it's positive stuff, the crowd behaves in the same way. Now, we've defined that behaviour a little bit. But I want to look at it from two perspectives of the cross by using two different examples from Luke's Gospel of crowd behaviour leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. And the first comes from Luke 19. I'm going to put it on the screens for you. Luke 19, uh, verses 28 to 38. After telling this story, Jesus went towards Jerusalem. So he's heading towards Jerusalem. It's actually the time in, in the story of Jesus where he's actually heading towards Jerusalem and he will be crucified. But he's heading towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of disciples. And as he came to the town of Bethphage and Bethany, on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them, and you, as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying uh, the colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus said. And sure enough, as they were untying, the owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And so they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all of the wonderful miracles that he's seen. Blessings of the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. See, here you can see. Here you can see crowd mentality, the crowd reacting in a behaviour because the disciples were showing what to do. The disciples started the process. They were the 5% that got the crowd saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, he is the King and he comes in the name of the Lord. Praise and peace to God Almighty. Hosanna in the highest, it is often said. And, and this is a positive thing. They were following along. They got swept up. The crowd got swept up in the emotion and what was happening at the time. And they wanted to see a Messiah come. The crowd was brought in, gathered, caught in the praising of Jesus. But they didn't know Jesus. They got caught up in the emotion without knowing. 
And this actually brings me to the point I want us to really, really hone in for us. Especially when we, we're here sitting in and, and we have great worship music and we come together and we come to this point, are we getting caught in the emotion of the religious experience without personally knowing Jesus? Are we getting caught up in this emotion of what's happening without knowing Jesus? Have you actually made that personal decision for Jesus yourself? Or are you getting caught in the flow of those around you who have made that decision, but you are just going with the flow? Maybe you might be saying, I, I, I go to church because my family goes. Or maybe you're going, I just, I, I just want to you know, feel the emotion of what's going on. I just want to be a part of something here. It's something I've always done in my life. The question comes back, are you getting caught up with the emotion of the religious experience without knowing Jesus? Are you like the crowd that came together and shouted Hosanna to the highest? peace on earth to Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. Are you getting caught up with that without being a disciple, without following Jesus? Because are you a disciple or are you part of the crowd? Do you have faith in Jesus and his saving grace found in the death on the cross or do you base your understanding of the cross of Christ in something else? Is it something that you've explored for yourself? Or is it something that you accepted because of those around you? This is where I want to say that actually crowd mentality can actually be helpful. You know, because there are steps that we need to take after the crowd experience, but it can get you to the point where people are going, yes, this is Jesus, I want something like this. It, within church within what we do here. The experience together. You can encounter people who are passionately praising God. You can encounter people who are worshipping God. You can allow that experience with others and you can want that. You can join in with them. The thing is that you just can't leave it there. You just can't stop and leave it there, which is actually what happened with Jesus. As he was coming in to Jerusalem, the praise was there and then it stopped. He went off and overturned the tables on the temple and he did things that they didn't necessarily expect him to do. And the praising stopped because they wanted something else. See, the thing is, you can't leave it in that crowd experience. You need to take it further for yourself. You need to make that decision personally for yourself. The crowd experience is, is valuable because it draws you into a place where you can experience the power, the majesty and the grace and the love and the hope of God in Jesus Christ. And this is where you will know the saving grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is where you can have that perspective of the cross of Christ that says, yes, I want that experience. I want to claim Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. I want that in my life. It can draw you to that point, that crowd experience can. It's that you need to take the next step, not as a crowd, not as a big group, but as an individual. 
You need to make a decision for Jesus yourself. Just as the crowd you know, around Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem at that time saw him briefly as the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. They were caught up in the moment, but they didn't take it any further. And see, this then leads me into what did the crowd then do later on in the life of Jesus as recorded by Luke's Gospel and by all the other Gospels as well. It actually takes place on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. After he'd been arrested and after being brought before the Jewish council and Herod and Pilate, we come to this section of Luke's Gospel, which is in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 24. And it gives us another experience of how the crowd behaves and how the 5% can manipulate that crowd into doing something not to praise Jesus and not to praise for who he is, but to condemn and cause death. So let me go into this. and just It's amazing how crowds can change when they don't have a personal investment in it. Crowds can move and change. And we are, we, we're prone to this in our own life and in what happens. Now, we might be appalled at a certain situation that happens in the world and we stand together and everybody and says, yes, we, we want to fight against this. Whatever it might be. It might be a shooting. It might be something else. And then a week later... We're participating in another thing that brings about exactly the same thing. We just have been manipulated by a different crowd. But let's come back to this this reading from Luke's Gospel. Luke 23, verses 13 to 24. And then Pilate called together the leading priests and the other religious leaders along with the people. So that's the along with the people, that is the crowd there. And he announced his verdict. So he, he'd, he'd looked into Jesus. He'd looked into the accusations that were placed against him by the religious leaders of the time. And he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I've examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find him innocent. That's a very big statement there. Harry came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. You know, it's a pretty harsh penalty for somebody who's innocent. But then a mighty roar rose from... Where did the mighty roar come from? From the crowd. And with one voice they shouted, kill him and release Barabbas to us. Now, Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's the crowd, kept on going, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder and demanded that Jesus be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. That is an incredibly powerful story about how crowds can manipulate and change the situation, how crowds can be changed and manipulated, and the view of there. 
See, the crowd wanted death. Matthew actually adds a little bit more information for us around this and how that crowd was manipulated. I just want to share you from Matthew 27, verse 20. It says this, and this is, this is the first incident, incident that happens. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So it wasn't just on their own volition that the crowd said, just crucify Jesus. They had 5%. They had that influential group that changed the behaviour of the crowd in there. And they got, and what happened is that 5% got them to start saying this. And then those around... They may have been ambivalent. They may not have had any particular way. They got swept up in the emotion. And what happened? They wanted the death of Jesus as well. They wanted the blood. They wanted his blood. Crowd mentality and the cross of Christ. See, a few incited the crowd to call for Jesus' death. The crowd then wouldn't change their mind. They got a sense of what needed to happen from these people. They'd been manipulated and changed. The crowd took responsibility, but not as individuals. If we read in Matthew's Gospel, it actually says, you know, we want this death. We are responsible. We take the responsibility for his death, we and our children. But see, here's the interesting thing. See, when crowds do this, It's not the individuals that take responsibility because the individuals don't think they are doing it. They think the crowd is doing it. Everybody is doing it. They don't think that they can be held accountable. This is the de-individualisation that happens. They feel they're anonymous. They're a part of this big group and they feel they can get away with it. And see, this brings me to my other major point that I want us to really think about and really struggle with today within our readings. Has the crowd actually caused you to deny Jesus and the power of the cross? Has the crowd caused you to deny Jesus today? See, in society today, influences around you are saying, Easter is not about Jesus. It's not about the cross. It's about bunnies and holidays. It's about Easter eggs and chocolate. It's about anything else. It's about holidays and taking time off. But it's not about Jesus and the cross. More and more people are opting out of the cross of Christ at Easter. You know, there have always been these really big arguments that go around. And it wasn't so long ago that in the, the UK, they were, the National Trust didn't want to even use the word Easter in something they were doing at the time of Easter. When we start removing even the names, we start realising the crowd has influenced our behaviour. Are we letting the crowd tell us what to think? When the crowd is saying, deny Jesus and the cross, you need to stand firm and check for yourself. You need to claim Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. You need to check the facts of the cross, stand against the crowd, actually stand up and be heard. So we live in a world and a time when the crowd of influence around us is actually denying Jesus more and more and they're denying the power of the cross more and more. So are you being caught 
in the mentality of the crowd? Or are you willing to listen to the voice of God and make your individual decision for Jesus yourself? What is your perspective of the cross? What is your perspective of the cross? Is it like the crowd today that says it's insignificant? Or do you stand against the crowd and say it is the saving grace of God for all the world and I want to be a part of that grace of God for my life? The thing that we need to first of all understand is that we actually have become part of a large crowd. Each and every one of us are part of this crowd in the world. Secondly, we need to make up our own mind and claim the power of Jesus for ourselves. And thirdly, we need to realise that we can actually be that 5% that helps the crowd move in a new direction, not away from Jesus and the cross, but towards Jesus. So what is your perspective of the cross? Is it one of the crowd with denial and death of Jesus Christ, or is it one of life, of hope and of grace and of love? I know which perspective I choose, because I choose Jesus as being my Lord and Saviour. I choose Jesus as the one who died on the cross to save all of the world and including me and you from our sins and from give us eternal life. So I want to invite you to pray with me today. I want you to pray with me and ask Jesus into your life. If you are at that point in your life where you're going, well, I'm not sure what perspective I actually hold. I'm not sure what perspective. Am I going with what the crowd is saying or am I willing to explore what Christ has for me? I want you to pray with me right now. Lord God, we just give you thanks today that even as we look in the Bible at the events leading up to your crucifixion, and your resurrection, Lord. We can see how different perspectives, how groups of people can change their behaviours and understanding of who you are. Lord, help us today not to be caught up in the negative behaviour and the negative perspectives around your death and your resurrection, around who you are, Jesus. O Lord, I claim you as my Lord and Saviour. I ask you to come into my heart today to give me the power of the cross, the glory of life everlasting. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness upon my life. And Lord, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I'm willing to stand against the crowd and follow you as one of your disciples. I pray this today, I pray this tomorrow, and I pray this for the rest of my life. Amen.